Welcome to day two of our look through Matthew chapter 11. We're talking this week about what to do with those things that come up against our faith, that try to erode our faith. Yesterday, we talked about what to do when you face doubt. Today, we're going to talk about what do you do when you have a critical spirit. But first, before that, I want to listen together with you to some things that Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. In verses 7 to 15, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what does Jesus want us to hear in these verses? What is this about Elijah and about the kingdom forcefully advancing? I want you to notice that in one sense, Jesus is talking about history here, the spiritual history of the world. Did you notice he says, up until John, and he talked about the prophets, and then he said, then there is John, and he talked about the messenger, and then he says, and since John, and he talks about the kingdom. John the Baptist stands at a crossroads of the spiritual history of the world. He is the messenger for the Messiah coming into the world. So let's look at this history just very briefly. First, he says, up until John, and he talks about prophecy. Those who came to be prophets were those who looked forward to what God was doing in the world. They looked forward to see what God was doing in the history of Israel, what God was doing in the surrounding world, but they also, prophets also look forward to the Messiah who would one day come to save Israel. So up until John, you had the prophets looking forward to the Messiah. And then comes John, who Jesus says is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's a messenger. He's a messenger, which it sounds like maybe a messenger isn't as great as a prophet, but for Jesus, it was the greatest of all because he came to give the message that the Messiah has come. John came to say what the prophets had been looking forward to for centuries and centuries, that that had now arrived. Isaiah 43 to 5, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is the spirit in which John came. And so Jesus says he is the greatest among men because of that, because of the faith that he had and the message that he brought. But, he says, yet those in God's kingdom are greater than he. So what John is looking forward to, what he's announcing is the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to bring in a kingdom that's greater than anything else. Make sure, Jesus is saying here, that you don't get so focused on the messenger, John, that you miss the message that he came to bring, the message of a kingdom. And then Jesus says, from the days of John until now. So this is just a few years. 
John's come. Jesus starts his ministry. Just a few years have passed. In those few days, the kingdom, he says, is advancing. In fact, he says, it is forcefully advancing. What does that mean? This verse can actually be taken in a number of different ways, depending on how you see the Greek syntax that's here. I think it refers to the way that God's kingdom begins to come into this world through Jesus. It is forcefully advancing into this world. And one modern picture behind the Greek word for forcefully advancing is the picture of a hostile takeover of a company. When a company is taken over, though it still wants to be in control, some force comes from outside of it and takes it over. That's called a hostile takeover. Now, I know the word hostile sounds negative, but suppose a good company, just suppose a good company takes over a bad company. The hostile takeover makes things better. The forceful advance of the kingdom makes things better. God is working a hostile takeover on this world. God's kingdom is accomplishing a hostile takeover of individual lives in this world, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he's taking us all, the whole world together, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. God's changing everything. And Jesus says, it's happening even now. You can see it happening even now. Now, in this hostile takeover, people are going to respond one way or the other. They're going to accept it by faith or they're going to reject it. And so Jesus goes on to talk about one of the ways that people fight this takeover, fight this advance of God's kingdom. In verses 16 to 19, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Jesus is speaking here to those who struggle with a critical spirit. The critical spirit of no matter what someone does, there is something wrong with it. Either people are not happy enough, and so you're upset because they're not happy enough, or when they become happy, people aren't sad enough, and so you're upset at that. Jesus is talking about this when it comes to faith in our lives, that we can allow a critical spirit to become one of the barriers to us having faith. You can always find something wrong with someone else, because guess what? They're a human being, imperfect, just like you. So you can always allow a critical spirit towards someone else to be a reason not to have faith. In fact, they even found something wrong with Jesus, and he wasn't an imperfect human being. He was 100% perfect. They still found something wrong with him. John, Jesus says, the Baptist, he was very strict in what he ate, and they said, oh, no, no, we can't accept that. That's like demonic, the way he's not eating. He's eating like locusts and honey. That's demonic. So Jesus comes, and he goes, and he parties with the tax collectors and sinners, and they say, oh, we can't have that. He's a glutton. He's He's somebody who is associating with the wrong people. Here's what's behind a critical spirit. Those who do not want to listen to the truth will find a reason not to listen to the truth. Now, I understand we struggle with how people act and we struggle with our own hypocrisy, other people's hypocrisy. I understand the struggles that we have with that and we should be honest about those struggles. But sometimes it's not a struggle. It's an excuse. It's a reason I'm finding. It's a way I'm using somebody else's imperfections to tell me that I don't need to have faith. I gotta tell you, in all honesty, when you and I face God in heaven, there's gonna be no excuse in that. 
God's going to say, I-, I gave you every opportunity, and you made them an excuse for you not to have faith? The truth is, this isn't just about other people. It's also about me. It's about you. When you and I don't want to listen to the truth, we find a reason not to listen to the truth. It may be about beginning a relationship with Christ, and so you find some person who's a Christian who you can't respect, and you, so you say, that's why I can't have faith. But maybe it's that you don't want to have faith. Maybe it's that you don't want to change your life, and you're using them as an excuse, using a critical spirit to keep you from faith. Or it might be that God's putting his finger on some area of sin in your life, and you don't want to change. It's become your comfortable sin area whether it's gossip or it's sexual immorality of some kind or it has to do with materialism, whatever it is, it's become your comfort place. And whenever you hear a sermon about it, you start to think evil thoughts about the preacher that's preaching the sermon. I bet he doesn't do those things. I bet, why do you have a critical spirit? You have to ask yourself. You can criticize any sermon, of course. There's no perfect sermon. But you have to ask yourself, why do I have such a critical spirit right now? Is it really the sermon? Or is it maybe something in me that doesn't want to see God change this area of my life. He wants to change it because he knows he can make you better. He wants to change it because he knows what he can do for your life. What Jesus is saying here about the people of his generation is that they were being childish and stubborn, having a critical spirit, but they needed to be childlike and humble. They needed to have a humble spirit. Now, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? Obviously, this generation is also our generation. We struggle with the same thing, sarcasm, critical spirit, all these things of blaming others. But when it comes right down to it, it's not about me and that other person. It's about me sitting in the presence of God, a perfect God who loves me perfectly. And he was inviting these things to happen in my life. And many times, I have to admit, a critical spirit in my life is because I want to hold God at arm's length rather than invite God in to make the changes that he needs to make, that he wants to make. And then in the end, I'm going to be joyful that he made. As we talk about this together, the only way to really understand if this is happening in my life is to have God reveal it to us. So let's ask him to. Would you pray with me and just say, Father, if I have a critical spirit about another person or some area of my life or faith in my life, would you show me? Would you help me to see it and understand it? And as I see it, instead of resisting your work, pushing against you, Lord, I pray that I would invite you in because I know that you love me. I know you have a great plan and purpose for my life. So I ask that you'd work in this way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about what to do when we struggle with apathy or indifference.